0: It is indeed another blessed Sunday morning that we've been given to assemble and to gather in the way that we are, and we're certainly thankful and delighted for not only our membership who've come our way today as always, but certainly the visitors that are here with us today. We're so thankful, and we hope that you find our service encouraging and above all else connected and entirely true to the wonderful Word of God. It is the case that, as you notice on the wall behind me, we're going to give our thought today to at least some points from the book of Philippians. I would invite you, if at all possible, to find a Bible or maybe use yours and be turning to that little four-chapter New Testament book, and we'll be investing the entirety of our lesson onto that little book. And the goal will be to extract some points from that little treatise of the New Testament and use that as a blessing for our lives today. You'll notice on this Next slide, the one that speaks about the introduction. Isn't it a wonderful thing that the Bible has within it? All things that pertain to life and godliness, Second Peter 1 verse 3. That means that everything that you and I may face, every possible decision, every possible circumstance or otherwise situation will have information in the Bible that will permit us and guide us to make the right decision That'll be in the best interest of ourselves and our loved ones, and in fact, the best interest of pleasing God. Aren't you thankful for a book like that? It is true that the Bible, as you can see on that slide, is such that the things it contains not only address the times in life of victory and triumph, but it also addresses those matters of disappointment and discouragement. How do we react? What do we do about those times? It is with that in mind, the book of Philippians occupies such a wonderful place in the Holy Scriptures. It is a fairly small book. It is the 11th book of the New Testament, four chapters, 104 verses. That means in likelihood the entirety of the book could be read in, what, 20 minutes, 25 minutes at most? And yet in this book we have matters that can provide tremendous answers for your life and for mine. Sometimes it's very helpful to keep in mind a key word that occurs in in a various book because if that's the one thing you can remember, it will guide you in many appreciations about the remainder of the book. The key word in the book of Philippians is the word rejoice. It occurs 16 times in four chapters. It is a centerpiece of what Paul wished to convey to the church in Philippi, and it will be a key element in our discussion this morning as well. As we close that slide and prepare ourselves to launch into the book, let me share with you a moment about the approach I would hope we might take. Four chapters, we're going to step our way through each chapter, not as though it'll need to be a lengthy discussion in each position, but as we pass through it, we shall find, find many matters that will be very helpful to us. Two things to get us started. As you've turned the page, or at least have found chapter one in your Bible, would you please keep in mind with me that this book is one of the four prison epistles of the New Testament. That means that when Paul wrote this book, he, in fact, was a prisoner. You might want to keep that in mind given what we just learned. If the key idea is to rejoice and yet the man that wrote it was in prison, doesn't that say a lot about the features of addressing the issues we sometimes face? The proper attitude and the opportunity to rejoice even in situations that may be less than ideal. It is with that in mind. Let's then start in chapter 1. Beginning in verse 3, Paul made direct mention of a strong word in thankfulness for his Christian brothers and sisters in Christ. He loved them, he appreciated them, and he was so thankful for their encouragement of him and his work of the gospel. Paul said, I remember you always in my prayers. May I ask you a question? Do you love your brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you pray for them? Are you excited to ponder their faithfulness and their encouragement of you? May we all be like that. It makes for a strong congregation. It makes for a strong attitude of well-being in service to the Master. Oh, how Paul loved that church in Philippi. At this point, notice what he quickly follows it with. In verse 8, He had a strong desire to be with them. May I ask you another question? Do you love being with your brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you look forward to the services, coming to be here, and sharing fellowship with those you hope to be with in heaven? If we don't like being with one another here, do we really have any right to expect that we're going to enjoy being with them in heaven? And doesn't that indicate that one of us are not going to get there? Doesn't it say a lot? about how Paul longed with greatness to be with them. You'll notice the next element in the chapter. He highlights in verses 9 through 11 some tremendous prayerful matters concerning them. These are things he prayed for. A moment ago, we ask ourselves the question, do we pray for one another? Notice what Paul prayed for for them. He prayed that their love might abound And he prayed that they might be filled with all wisdom and understanding. Another good question, what are you full of? Maybe your parents or grandparents sometimes made statements, well, you're just full of silliness. Aren't you thankful to know the Word of God teaches us we can be full of righteousness and full of that which is godly and full of that which is approved before God? Paul hoped that they'd be that way. It is true as he closes verse number 11, he now at least makes a passing comment about the predicament he was in. And remember, he was in prison. And may we recollect the fact prisons of that day were not comfortable like they tend to be today. Prisons were often in a rock-walled structure where you were chained to either the wall or the floor. There wasn't any niceties or pleasantries. There wasn't a soft bed to lay on and there wasn't wonderful bounty of food prepared for you all day long Paul was in a place that was no doubt uncomfortable and no doubt unpleasant it probably stank and quite likely it was cold and dark places that you and I would not wonderfully like to be in in verse number 13 Paul would say in this opening chapter I want you brethren in Philippi to know something The things that have happened to me, speaking about his imprisonment, have actually worked toward the benefit of the preaching of the gospel. Don't you love the man's attitude? How easy it would be to perhaps pronounce woe upon myself. Look at what I'm in. Look at my circumstances. Don't you feel sorry for me? Paul had no thoughts like that. He said, I want you to know that though I'm in this prison... The circumstances of my imprisonment have actually motivated others to be more faithful in their preaching of the gospel. I hope each of us can develop an attitude like that. That even in circumstances that are not of our choosing, and they're certainly not the best that we would like to select, and yet we can see the good that might well come out of them. Because Paul was in prison, others had to do the preaching of the gospel. And Paul noted that their boldness and their willingness to do it actually had worked more toward the fulfillment of sending the gospel forth. It is with that in mind that verses 14 and 15 point out this interesting remark. Paul was quick to say there are some who sadly are preaching the gospel out of envy. They aren't motivated by love, and they aren't motivated by the desire for will among brethren. They're motivated by contention. But Paul said, above it all, this is the greatest point of it that Christ is being preached. Paul's central thesis was Jesus Christ. This whole book is about it. Is he the center of your life and mine? It is with those as a background we arrive at a set of verses in verses 20 and following. And in many ways, this is the heartbeat of chapter 1. What is your outlook of life? That's a great question. It's a profound question. What is your outlook on life? Here's Paul's. In verse 20, he would say that Christ is magnified in my body, whether it be by life or whether it be by death. And then two verses later, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. Can you say that with faithfulness and confidence? That was Paul's outlook. It's at this point, may I pause to say, if you'd like to remember some of the elements about the book of Philippians, chapter 1 centers around four Ps. Chapter 1 is the purpose of life. And we've just read it. For me to live as Christ and to die as gain. If you can't make that statement, then you're not ready to die. If you can't not make that statement, you aren't ready to pass beyond the scenes of this life because you're not ready for the judgment. Paul said he was ready. And now let's close chapter 1 with these observations. You'll notice he insisted then upon the Philippians, Be people of faith regardless of the circumstances of the city of Philippi and the particulars that shall come upon you, you among all other things be faithful. As that faithfulness is highlighted in verse 29, he said, It may well involve this, suffering. Along with faithfulness will come suffering. It was so in that day, and we in this country have been blessed for a long time. We were able to meet in freedom, We can often practice our Christianity without governmental interference in any way. The day may come that will no longer be true. And suffering may be a part of Christianity again like it was a thousand or two thousand years ago. At the very least, Paul said, If you're going to believe on Him, be ready to suffer with Him. And at that point, chapter 1 closes. We've learned many beautiful things already. Let's look at chapter 2. As we turn the slide and give thought to this second chapter, again, we shall look at a fantastic P that reminds us about our life in Christ. We'll get to it in just a moment. As we start the chapter, Paul encourages that church in Philippi to be like minded. To be like minded. Now, that phrase is one that occurs many times in the New Testament. In Romans 15, 6, for instance, it is said that we need to be of the same mind and to speak with the same mouth. He didn't literally mean we can talk with the same tongue and mouth, but it meant our message should be the same. Our consistency should be clear. Paul admonished the church in Philippi to be of that same mindset. Aren't you thankful to be a part of a brotherhood that's together, pronouncing a singular message of truth and faithfulness? A singular message that is not a distinction of denominationalism, but is a powerful and united message of what the Lord wished us to preach. Didn't Jesus say, He that's not with me is against me? Matthew 12, verse 30. You'll notice now in chapter number 2, We have this admonition in verse 3, and please note the commandment in it. It's so forceful. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. As you give thought to the matters of your life, and as I do the same for me, are you ever guilty of doing something out of contention? Doing it out of spite? Doing it in such a way to get revenge or evil on somebody else? Paul said, don't ever do anything by that motivation. Never. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. And that word vainglory brings us to mind, don't do it to draw attention to yourself. Now the fact is, what you do no doubt will bring attention to you, but don't let that be the motivation. God will take care of those kind of things in His due time. It is with that said, verses 5 through 11. Are the heartbeat of chapter 2. What's this chapter all about? May I ask you to note it with me. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. Now, pausing at that point, notice the connection to what's come before. Don't be a person given to vain glory and use Jesus as your example. He was the second member of the Godhead. He had all power and capacity and capability, and yet he didn't draw that attention purposely to himself. He might heal a blind man or a lame man. He did it for their benefit. And he did it to send forth the message of God's power and majesty. Jesus, of course, was made in fashion as a man, and he humbled himself to the point of death, the death on the cross. Now, verses 8 and 9 in that same chapter, as it points that matter out to us, it points out, again, the mind in Christ, he says, needs to be in us. So lesson number two, in a big way, Jesus Christ is not only the purpose of life, chapter 1, He's the pattern of life, chapter 2. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ. Question for each of us, are you using the Lord as your pattern? Are you striving to be more like Him each day? as you learn from His Word and implement it in your life, that's what it means to be more like Him. He would say in John 15, 5, Without me, you can do nothing. In John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. At this point, you'll notice then that that set of verses in verse 11 continues as it takes us to, in many ways, the next major matter. For look at Verse 12 in light of humility that the Lord encourages and the life that He chose to lead. We are now told in verse number 12 to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. There's a responsibility for me. You can't do it for me, and I can't do it for you. Work out your own salvation, and so my faithfulness is my responsibility. May each of us appreciate that characteristic of personal demand on the part of the God of heaven and to see in Paul's message here the rightful understanding of what he expects of us. At this point, the chapter races to this point. Verse 14, Do all things without murmuring. May I ask, are you given to complaining? Do you like to complain? Do you use as a thrust in life a frequent givenness to complaining? Paul said, don't be like that. And he ended the verse with the word disputings. Are you argumentative? Do people not like being around you because you are too abrasive? Paul said, don't be like that. Now, we can stand firmly and boldly for the truth, but not in a disputational way not in a way in which we are too abrasive to folks. At this point, note verse 15, the goal is that we might be blameless and harmless as the sons of God. There should be nothing that someone could attach to us that would be a signal reminder of sin. Oh, it's true, even as Christians, we'll stumble and fall occasionally, but we don't wallow in it. And we don't choose to live that way out of habit. At that point, the chapter then brings us to this point. You'll notice it on the slide. I've asked you to appreciate verses 19 through 30. Paul highly commends two individuals in this set of verses. One of them is Timothy. Paul said, I have nobody like Timothy who is concerned and loving toward you and will do all things to your benefit. Timothy was a selfless man who would give of himself to benefit and bless the church at Philippi. But then he mentions Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus is also highly commended. He, in fact, was sick, and so sick it said he was near to death. But God spared him. God delivered him. And Paul mentions him as a tremendous example of a faithful servant of the Lord. And with that, the second chapter draws to its conclusion. So, so far, we've highlighted the purpose of life and now the pattern of life. Let's journey into chapter 3. As you do that with me, you may be a bit puzzled by verse 1. The verse reads, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. It's almost as if Paul was ready to close the epistle. He said, finally. Have you ever noticed this is as though two chapters are yet to come? We aren't near the finish yet. It would seem as if the Holy Spirit said, No, Paul, there's more you need to write, and there's more messages to share, and there's more truth to be disseminated. And so he quickly issues a warning. Please note the warning of verse 2. There's some things and some people to beware of. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. Now may I be quick to say, he isn't talking about the four-legged creatures that we call dogs. The word dog here is used to refer to those who in general have no respect for the nature of the Word of God. Those who disrespect it and who oppose it. Paul said you've got to be careful of those people. They'll damage your reputation. They'll harm the church. And they will bring about no good for the ultimate character of what God would wish you to know and to be. Beware of those kind of people. He then says, beware of evil workers. Those who have a mindset in which they purposefully and deliberately wish to bring harm to the church and in particular to you. Finally, beware of the concision. That's a reference to the Judaizers, the Jewish people of the day. Those who were given to circumcision and the teaching of it and what was involved in it. You see, they had an interest in outward expression, not expression from the heart. At that point, Paul, in verses 4 and following, defends his heritage. He says, "'I, as an Israelite, am a Hebrew of Hebrews.'" He was of the seed of Benjamin. He himself admits he was a Pharisee. Now that's the way he had been. He was brought up and reared that way. But now would you please note verse 7. What things were gained to me, those I count lost for Christ. Our earthly sojourn here, connected to things and maybe even connected to a wonderful family, that's not going to save you or me on the day of judgment. What your parents may or may not have done will not be the thing by which you're judged. What your grandparents may or may not have done will not be the thing by which you're judged. And the same is true of me. Am I faithful? Are you And Paul said, those things that were parts of my life, I count them but lost that I may be a Christian. Is Christianity everything to you? Is it everything? Sometimes we sing that song, Jesus is all the world to me. My life, my joy, my song. I hope we sing that with fervor and sing that with meaning. After Paul had made this statement in verse 8, he now makes this memorable statement. Yea, doubtless. And I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. You know, you and I have many particulars of knowledge in our brain. Knowledge about cars and weather and time and whatever your occupation may be. But by far... The most important knowledge that you have is the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and His Word. Paul said, Yea, doubtless, I count everything but loss except the knowledge of the excellency of Christ Jesus my Lord. Oh, what a dedicated man he was. What a man of determination. It is with that, could I call your attention to verse 9. And be found in Him. Are you in Christ? Be honest. Are you in Christ? You can't be in Him if you've never been baptized into Him, Galatians 3, 26 and 27. And even if you have, if you aren't living faithfully each day to Him, you're still not in Him. For remember, He said, I know you not. Many times in the New Testament, reference is made to those who once were faithful, but at some moment they were not. If that is your lot today, Paul reminded the Philippian church, you've got to make some changes here. Because note verse 13, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, notice one thing, forget what's behind, look forward to what's before, and pursue it. Pursue God in faithfulness and Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul was exhibit A of this. He had ranked highly in the Jewish faith. In Acts 26, he was so powerful he could give the Word to take people's lives to the Sanhedrin court. Paul had a lot, in fact, going for him. But he said, I gave it all up. Jesus is more precious to me. Faithfulness in heaven are more precious to me. And so it is. Verse 14 brings us to the central piece of chapter 3. Remember chapter 1, the purpose of life. Chapter 2, the pattern of life. Chapter 3, the prize of life. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. What's the prize of your life? If it's anything other than Christ, you'll be sorely disappointed on the day of judgment. It is with that that chapter 3 races to its conclusion. He quickly makes observation of this truth. In verse 18, there are those who are enemies of the cross of Christ. That's tragic. The very one that died for them, and yet they are enemies of the cross. Paul, who do you mean by this? Who would be in a position like that? Let's let Paul define it. Verse 19, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is their shame. They mind earthly things. Their mind is centered on something here on earth. They seek the pleasures of the flesh. That's what they want. Now, they may make claim to the cross of Christ, but really they live as an enemy of it, if they're in this case. And Paul warned about them, and with such great earnestness of heart, he would plead for them. Because notice verses 20 and 21, As faithful Christians, our conversation is in heaven. Our citizenship is what that literally means. You and I enjoy the rights, the privileges, and the benefits of being a citizen of the United States of America. But may I suggest to you, we are citizens as Christians of a far better place than this. We may live here now, but our citizenship is stamped in heaven. And chapter 3 closes. One chapter to go. Chapter number four brings us to ponder one last major lesson, but a few other ones along the way, and let's highlight them as we arrive at the fourth chapter. First of all, verse one, Paul highlights the blessedness of the joy and crown of Christianity. Oh, the wonderful reward awaiting the faithful. But then with it, he quickly urges two women in the church at Philippi, Euodia and Syntyche. There was some difference between them. There was some degree of disagreement between them. Paul said, I urge them, be of the same mind. Work out this, whatever it is. Don't hold grudges. Don't avoid and hate each other. Whatever this distinction is, work it out. May I suggest that's good advice for us today. As much as life and me live peaceably with all men, Romans twelve eighteen. After this is a background, verse 4 is one of the key verses in the book. Rejoice in the Lord, always, and again I say rejoice. We mentioned the key word in the book was rejoice, and here are two of the occurrences in this one verse. Be a person of rejoicing spirit, a person who is joyful, a person who looks on the optimistic side and appreciates the handiwork and blessing of God even in those moments of challenge and difficulty in life. To highlight that even further, look at verse 5. Let your moderation be known unto all men. Be a person who is self-controlled and who in moderation does not go beyond the bounds of propriety. Our world preaches a message of excess, Live it up to all the gusto to which you have access. Paul, and the Word of God says, be a person known for self-control. A person known for moderation. Finally, verse 6, What a strong guy this has been for so many. Be careful for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Don't be a person given to worrying. I know that we have right to be concerned about things in life and matters that may impact us. But isn't it so often true that as we reflect on a verse like this one, don't be a worry wart." If you're a Christian, everything's going to be all right. Your life here is finally going to end and you're going to go to a better place anyway. Paul said, be anxious for nothing. The next verse puts it like this, The peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through the Lord. The peace of God will fill your soul and fill your heart and will be a strong supporting anchor throughout your life. At this point, verse 8, look at this practicality of what this means. What am I supposed to then think about and let be the guiding matters in life? Paul said, Think on what's true. Honest, just, pure, lovely, and of good report. Now, the devil wants us to think about ugly things, profane things, ungodly things, sinful things, hurtful things. Paul said, guard your thinking to where it's on these wholesome matters. If you do that, you'll be aloof from sexual sin. You'll be aloof from the other kinds of jealousy and envious behaviors that can so often be so problematic. After closing verse number 8, we now arrive at verse number 11. Along the way, verse 9, Paul urges them, you find a person as a good example in life and imitate them. And in this case, Paul said, use me. Could I ask you a question? Are you living your life in such a way that you could, without any shame or hesitation, say to anybody, live like I do, talk like I talk, think about the things I think about, and go the places I go. And your life will be a wholesome and pleasant thing to God. If you can't say that, make some changes. Go in different directions. It is true that verse 11 will now say, not that I speak in respect of want. I might pause. This man was in prison. He said, I don't want anything from you. This is what I would say. I've learned this. In whatever state I am therewith to be content. How content are you? Do you guide and motivate your life by always wanting more? More land? More money? More cars. That's all right to have aspiration. And to want to appreciate the things that God would allow you to enjoy, but to be motivated like that, you'll never be happy. Solomon what? Read the book of Ecclesiastes. There was a man who, as king, had access to all the money you could ever want, all the prestige and power and nobility you could ever want. And yet he said it didn't make me happy. Everything is vanity and vexation of spirit. At this point, we now come in context to verse 13. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. May we not take that out of its context. Paul was saying even in matters of affliction, in times of discouragement, like I am in this prison, he would say, even in such times as this, I can do all things. Paul could find a way to preach and spread the gospel despite the fact he was in prison. He could motivate and encourage others to follow the Lord despite the fact he was in prison. I can do all things. Are you a positively motivated person? Through Jesus Christ, didn't Jesus himself say, with God, all things are possible, Matthew 19, 26. As we come near the close of this chapter... Paul highly commended the Philippian church because they had supported him. While he was preaching the gospel in various places, he said, "...Nobody came to my aid but you." Now, you and I today, as this congregation, we support preachers in various places around the world with the hope that, due to our support, they can devote their attention and time to preaching the gospel and reaching the lost in those areas. Paul was thankful the church in Philippi had done that for him. Verse number 19 will now say this, God shall supply all your need. If you have need, as a faithful Christian, God, the God of heaven will supply it. He didn't say God might. He'll think about it. He said He shall. Trust in the Lord, will you? Trust in Him with all your heart. His way is always right. And so great is that thought that verse 22 closes the book nearly with this incredible thinking. We've stated throughout this particular book that Paul, as in prisoner, was seemingly in very dire straits. And yet verse 22 says, All the saints salute you, chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. There were Christians in Caesar's palace. Had Paul been instrumental in converting them? We don't know. Perhaps. But at the very least, the gospel of Jesus Christ was so strong that though there was a pagan, heathen ruler named the Caesar, there were Christians in his household. That's a beautiful thought. As we close this lesson this morning, these points from Philippians have brought us to summarize our book this way. The four P's that could be of some assistance to us. Jesus Christ, as we learn in chapter 1, the purpose of life. In chapter 2, Jesus Christ, the pattern of life. Chapter number 3, Jesus Christ, the prize of life. And finally, Jesus Christ, chapter 4, the power of life. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Today, if you're not a faithful Christian... I hope you've been motivated by the book of Philippians to to become one. It may be you've never obeyed the gospel initially. And so the blessings we've learned about this morning, you do not have the privilege of enjoying at this moment. Don't you believe in Jesus? Are you ready to repent of your sins, confess His name and be baptized? It'd be our delight to assist you today. If you have become a faithful child of God at some point... But maybe in the distant past, and at this moment, that seems like so long ago. You need to come back to your first love, to borrow the words of Revelation 2.5. You need to come back to the faith that you once had. The Bible tells us how to do that. You need to repent of your sins and make confession of them. And the Lord will forgive them. If you need to make acknowledgement of those things in a public way today, it'd be our desire to assist and to help. But Jesus Christ, as we've learned this morning, is a centerpiece of all of it. The pattern, the purpose, the power, and the prize. And if we could be of help to anybody today, we invite you to come while we stand and sing.